today, we finally found out what the Labour Party's long-awaited tax policy is. So today on Taxpayer Talk, I'm joined by Taxpayer Re- uh, Taxpayers Union researcher Isla Acheson, research officer Isla Acheson, and economist Joe Ascroft. Now, the policy itself, or at least the headline policy, was an increase in the, well, the addition of a, of a higher personal income tax rate for income over $180,000. So that income will be taxed at a marginal tax rate of 39%. Now, um, I guess we some of us would have had different expectations, but it, it wasn't exactly a shocking uh, tax policy. I thought that it might come in at 150000 so this decision not to uh, not to have this tax apply until someone earns over one hundred and eighty thousand is perhaps more moderate than some people would have expected. Uh, what about you, Isla? Do you, was this more extreme or more moderate than you expected? And what do you think the political motivations of this were? I would say it's actually quite significantly more moderate than I personally was expecting. What it will do is give those core Labour voters the sense that there is more equity in the tax system, that this is fairer, it's a higher tax bracket. But as I'm sure we'll cover in this conversation, it probably won't actually raise very much money or change huge amounts about how those top earners pay tax. So in practice, it's probably not as significant as we'd all feared. I do wonder how satisfied uh, Labour's core left-wing base will be. Um, For example, they still haven't touched capital or wealth in any way. I know the Green Party, I've already seen a couple of their MPs saying that this is a not transformational, and that we need to address untaxed capital. Uh, Joe, what's your sense in terms of um, whether this will satisfy that ideological itch on Labor's part? I, I'm not sure the degree to which they actually have to. What we've kind of seen under Jacinda's premiership is that Labor has become a kind of ideological black hole where they've managed to suck up almost all of the left-wing votes. I saw... UMR's latest poll got leaked today and it it showed that the Greens were down to 3.2%. I'd imagine that Labor would be looking at this policy kind of thinking, let's try to create some level of difference with National, but most importantly, let's not spook any of those moderate centrist voters the kinds of key Mm -hmm. Jacinda voters that maybe historically would have voted for National but actually trust Labor's response to COVID and trust its response to the economic crisis as a result. Let's keep those people on board because, I mean, looking at the polling by all accounts, Labor may be able to rule alone with those voters. So, yeah, maybe there'll be some left-wing voters dissatisfied on election day, but there's not really anywhere else for them to go. Yeah. Um, I sometimes worry that even even us um, on the centre-right can fall into this trap of playing the expectation games. I mean, the, uh, I, I almost allowed myself to be a little bit relieved when I saw um, how minor this tax change was. But thinking about it, no, this is a higher tax. Um, 39% is an extremely high marginal tax rate, uh, or at least I think it is, uh, and it's going to have real harms. Um, the immediate one that came to mind for me was capital flight. Um, Joe... Should we actually be really concerned about this from an economic perspective? Um, look, I'm, sh- I'm sure some people will move overseas um, as a result. How many there will be is probably unclear. Australia has higher marginal income tax rates on, on this level of income than we do. Uh, maybe a couple of investors will decide to um, move back to America or move back to the UK or something like that. I think the real risk here with this tax rate is actually on the fiscal side, that it won't 
raises much money um, as has been signaled by Grant Robertson. So they think it'll raise about $550 million. But I mean, mind the gap, there's, there's a huge 11 percentage point difference between the new proposed rate of 39% and the continued rate on company income and trust income of 28%. So in anyone earning over $180,000 worth their salt probably look to route as much income as possible through a family trust mm. or a company or maybe now they want a new car so it's now a company car rather than a, a personal car but oh well it gets used on weekends and, and, and that sort of thing so I mean that's the that's the kind of pattern of behavior yeah. we saw in the mid-2000s yeah. when there was that quite large difference between um, trust income and personal income. I think it's fair to say we'll see that again. So it may raise quite a lot less than uh, Labor's signalling so far. Yeah, and the people in this tax bracket obviously are exactly the type of people who can afford accountants and probably already do have accountants that they can get to arrange their affairs. Uh, and and, and uh, yeah, obviously, and, and for whom it'll be worthwhile. Mm. So most of us look at uh, an appointment with an accountant and say, oh, is it, is it worth the hundreds, thousands of dollars? Whereas for these people, it, it could quite literally be worth thousands of dollars a year. So, yeah, I, I expect we'll see a huge increase in the use of trusts yeah. as a result of this policy. Yeah. So, Isla, what was your biggest sort of concern um, as a result of hearing this tax policy? Well, as I said earlier, Louis, I was, you know, I did almost fall into that trap of relief. But then I thought about it. We'd all been assuming that Labor was going to raise taxes in order to pay off some of that debt that the government is rapidly accumulating. But if the government isn't willing to significantly raise taxes in a way that will actually bring in a lot of revenue, and they're clearly not willing to rein in spending, what is the plan to tackle New Zealand's increasingly large debt problem? Mm. I mean, surely they have to cut spending now. Um, this, even looking at their revenue forecast, which $550 million a year, that's, as we've explained, I mean, that, that is really optimistic. But even if that's true, I worked it out, it's going to pay off 1% of the COVID-19 fund every year. That's the $50 billion fund. So they've barely really addressed the problem of debt at all. Uh, Isla and Joe, do you actually think we'll see some more policies on the fiscal side from Labor that could address the debt issue? I, I, I'm, I'm happy to go. My answer would be no. Um, the, the fiscal the fiscal situation is concerning in some senses, but Grant would be feeling quite comfortable with where things are at right now. Clearly, debt's increased a lot, but the Reserve Bank's been quite supportive. Uh, they've indicated they're willing to keep printing quite a lot of money going forward, and certainly that will take pressure off... Um, of the government in terms of how much they've borrowed. Um, moving on from here, I would have thought that they will be quite happy to just let the debt sit relatively high and pay it off slowly over time. Certainly, what what Grant seemed to be indicating at his, at his press conference today was really trying to strike a difference with National. So he's arguing that, well, look, National haven't got a good tax plan. They want to go out and spend all this money that we're spending, except instead of on the on the kind of COVID recovery, they want to spend it on trucks and trains and tunnels and transport and all that kind of thing. Um, so he's arguing, well, look, if National want to borrow and spend all this money too, but they're not going to increase taxes, then you can't credibly trust National uh, on managing the economy because National will actually let, get debt, let debt get 
out of control more than we will. Um, so I suppose the cynic in me says, look, as long as Grant Robertson has the backing of the Reserve Bank and he thinks he can strike a point of difference with National, he'll just keep on keeping on. So mm. we've effectively reached the point where our two major parties, neither of them are that concerned about New Zealand's debt levels. I mean, I, to, to quote Nixon, right, we're all Keynesians now. I, I, think, I think COVID really changed the landscape um, of what was going to be economically acceptable. Um, and the politics has changed, both here and globally. So following the, the kind of global financial crisis in 2008, the strategy from um, political parties, centre-right and centre-left, was, yep, we'll have some level of support, but we're really going to tighten the belt on spending. So in the UK, you've had austerity. Here, uh, Key ran on getting the books back to black. Um, and, and that was the strategy when the Liberals took over in Australia uh, under Abbott um, five or so years ago as well, whereas that is just not being politically acceptable anywhere, really. Even the centre-right is running on more spending. So in the UK, yes. the Conservatives are running on more spending. You have your kind of eat-out-to-help-out programmes where they're subsidising restaurants and all kinds of leisure activities. Um, the other day, the Liberals in Australia... You know, supposedly fiscally conservative announced that they'll be continuing their JobKeeper program, which is like our wage subsidy program, right through to quarter one next year. And of course, yeah, as you point out, Isla, here there is really no major difference between Labor and National on their fiscal um, plans heading forward. I mean, it, it may be the case that this week or next week we hear from National and what their tax plans are, and they may announce. A, a slashing and burning of wasteful projects and a, and a cut in tax rates, but I, I personally think it would be unlikely looking at the kind of global political landscape and where parties are looking. Yeah, well, this is the challenge for a group like us, isn't it? I mean, we know that you can cut spending without um, having to go all the way into austerity. There is low-hanging fruit, uh, corporate welfare, the amount of money that the government's pouring into some of its KiwiSaver and superannuation subsidies. Uh, surely there is an opportunity now for a political party to stick its neck out and say, um, now's the time to cut back on this low-value spending because all of it is now borrowed and will be paid back with interest. Well, I'll say, I'll say a couple of things on that. I, I think the first thing is, is that you can feel it in the public mood. Increasingly, the public is worried about the debt. You're starting to see it online, on social media, and I think it's starting to turn up in, in polling as well. I saw that TVNZ's um, kind of vote compass project that they run every election had people now starting to flip to the economy and mm. debt as their most important issue heading forward compared to uh, COVID, which was the major issue earlier in the year. And the other thing is, is I mean, I think ACT probably does deserve a quick shout out yeah. here yeah. because they've, their polling has skyrocketed uh, this year. Uh, I think last time I saw them, it was sitting around 7, 8, 9%. Um, which is massive for them because that's saying on election day that one in 10 New Zealanders might vote for the ACT party. I mm. mean, that's an, that's an incredible shift in fortunes for them. Yeah. And when you look at what they're explicitly running on, it's let's close Callaghan Innovation, close all these wasteful corporate welfare projects and plough all the money back into tax cuts. So even while I think there's this kind of um, global political reluctance towards fiscal prudence, there's still clearly an appetite among some circles in New Zealand for that good traditional taxpayers' union message of you can spend your money better than the government can, uh, less waste, uh, 
more transparency. Yeah. I um, used their debt destroyer tool. Um, this is the Act Party's debt destroyer tool online, and it's a lot of fun. You basically get to virtually slash spending and see what it will do to the debt. Um, I wish other parties were doing that. Yeah, so in terms of that COVID response, one of the taxpayers' union messages has been, we just need to up productivity, and one way of doing that is cutting taxes. And I think it's interesting that throughout this conversation, we haven't actually talked about that key issue that when you raise taxes, you disincentivize productive behaviour. Joe, do you think that will be an issue in growing the economy and recovering from this? Um, I, I think I think there'll be some impact um, on, on the margins. But, but I, I think the real thing to go back to is that if you believe that the vast majority of people or, or a lot of people will seek to avoid this tax by routing income through trusts and companies, then you also kind of have to believe that this tax will have very little impact. So I guess I'd say, um, yeah, it will have an impact. I think the main thing is, is that it'll probably just increase compliance costs for businesses and investors. Um, so that will have an impact on investment on the margins. But really... Um, I don't see it having a massive impact. I think I think the reality is it's it's a nothing burger. It seems to be a nothing burger for the left, who seem quite unhappy online, and it's a nothing burger for um, the government's books because it's unlikely yeah. to raise much money. Yeah. Hey, there was um, another really major. Uh, well, it seemed major, but we'll discuss this uh, announcement from Grant Robertson today. He said that Labor will not implement any new taxes. Firstly, what do we think they mean by that, and do we believe them? Well, I'm hoping it means just how it sounds on its face value that, you know, this is ruling out things like a wealth tax that the Green Party has been really pushing for. But on that issue in particular, it's going to get really difficult if Labour needs to go into coalition with the Green Party. And I'm a little bit nervous as to whether or not that promise will be followed through on if Labour ultimately needs Green's help in October. Mm. I wondered if there was some kind of wriggle room in that statement of um, Grant Robertson's. He said Labor will not implement. He didn't say a coalition government, including Labor, will not implement. Uh, to a certain extent, he's not uh, in control of what a future coalition government will do, especially when it includes the Greens. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I'd say a couple things on that. The first thing is, yeah, clearly the risk is there because I'll need to negotiate with the Greens. But... The second thing, if you look at current polling, the Greens don't look particularly strong at all. Granted, who knows what might happen in, in coalition backrooms. I think the major risk to be looking at that kind of coalition government would be a significant strengthening of climate taxation. Um, it would be very easy for that kind of Labour-Greens government to go after farmers and more aggressively tax methane and other kinds of emissions. Um, mm. It would be very easy to go after... Um, I think more suburban um, voters who, you know, just drive to work and drop their kids off at school rather than that kind of more Labour Greens base of people who, you know, might actually cycle to work or catch the bus or catch the train or that sort of thing. So um, do I think Labour will lie and come back and say, oh, actually, we're ratcheting up income taxes? Probably not. Um could I imagine Labor turning up next year and saying, well, we've had to do a deal and we're strengthening the Zero Carbon Act? I think that's the kind of thing that taxpayers could um, could expect. Yeah, I think in the next few weeks, taxpayers need to uh, pay very close attention to what Jacinda Ardern is saying with regards to tax. Uh, we, we think back to the capital gains issue. She was actually really explicit on that. She said it would not happen uh, in a government that she led. 
Now, that's more explicit than saying Labour won't implement it. And the other aspect is that she staked her reputation on it. Now, when the, when Jacinda Ardern does that, uh, then, then it's serious. So we'll have to see what happens in some of these uh, uh, press conferences between now and the election. Um, Joe, is there anything else from today's announcement that taxpayers need to be aware of? Um, just a couple of minor quibbles. I think the one thing to talk about here would be uh, the, the, the government's come out and said that they will take the approach on taxing these digital services companies like Facebook and, and, and Spotify and those kinds of companies in line with um, the OECD. There had previously been some debate on whether we were going to go it alone and go after these predominantly US-based companies. Um, now, when some other countries tried to do that, the US came down on them like a ton of bricks and started tariffing their goods, tariffing their services. So I think quite a prudent decision from the government today to say, well, we're going to take the more international approach rather than just unilaterally picking a fight with Trump. All right. Well, that's something. Any last words, Isla? No, I think that's it from me, Louis. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Taxpayer Talk, and thank you, Isla for, and Joe, for sharing your time today. Mm-hmm.